What a privilege for me and my family, Joanna, and others to be a part of this church, Redeemer Church. It has been such a blessing to us, coming back from Africa after 27 years, to be helped getting reoriented to a society that wasn't exactly the way it is today when we left 27 years ago. But just to, I just lost some of the troops here, my amen corner, but just to let you know that God does work in covenants, I am you know, one, and then there uh, is the second generation, and then the third generation, and then you just saw the fourth generation go away. That's my, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and if you wonder why I chose Winston-Salem, I didn't know what kind of treasure I was choosing or we were choosing, but uh, we have all of those living here with us and um, much involved in other churches here in the area, but you know, what a great privilege to be here, to know you and to be blessed by you in ways that you cannot imagine. I can remember this old man here helping us move this massive sofa into, my, into our house, among other things, and you, know, you have been such a blessing to us. I, you know, you know I, this family, I have two families. This, I lost my first family to cancer, and this is just my first family. Joanna and I met in Africa, and most of you know Joanna. Joanna, I should be known here as Joanna's husband. <laughs> and I think you will agree as you get to know Joanna, but we have, I had three wonderful daughters in the first marriage. My wife went to be with the Lord, and then now we have three sons who are all off to college right now. So I have been doubly and triply, triply blessed, and hopefully this is a testimony to you of the faithfulness of God in his covenants. He is faithful unto a thousand generations. Now you multiply a thousand times 20, that's, we got the next 20,000 years covered. So you can feel comfortable if the Lord should delay. Well, it's, this is a very interesting thing, and I, I could pull a trick that uh, Spurgeon once did, the great Baptist preacher. He said he, he got up to read his text, and another passage from the other side of the page jumped out at him like a lion out of a thicket, and so he started preaching in that one. Well, now what you have printed in the bulletin is that other passage that jumped out. That's not the passage that was supposed to be printed in the bulletin. So you're going to just have to listen to me as I read not, uh, is it Amos 6? This is Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning to read at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the cherubim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. 
and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook as the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and their blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes his people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. As the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed shall be the stump in the land. May God bless to our hearts the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Sorry, I didn't read the bulletin very well. No, I really would just wanted to get your attention. Why you should go with the gospel. Let us pray. 
Lord our God, we thank you and praise you for the wonder of your grace to us. We are the benefactors of your mercy and your grace, and we receive it with great joy and thanksgiving. Together, we are here as your people, with your name put upon us. And now we ask that you will open our hearts in a new and fresh way, that we can hear your word, that we can have the power of your grace to believe it, and that the Spirit will enable us to obey it. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. Today, God's word tells you why you should go with the gospel. Three reasons. You should go with the gospel, first of all, because you have seen the holiness of God. Secondly, you should go with the gospel because you have experienced the forgiveness of God. And thirdly, you should go with the gospel because you understand the sovereignty of God in salvation. Because you have seen the holiness of God, experienced the forgiveness of God, and understand the sovereignty of God in salvation. First of all, because you have, you, that is you, have seen the holiness of God, therefore you should go with the gospel. Isaiah's vision, as we read it, of the holiness of God came, as the scripture says, and as we often pass over these little phrases without thinking of their significance, in the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah had his vision of the holiness of God. What were the circumstances of the death of King Uzziah? Do, do you know? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. What kind of man was Uzziah? Was he one of those wicked kings of Israel? No, Isaiah tells us, and the scriptures tell us, that Uzziah was a good man, one of the rare sorts of Israel's kings. He advanced the kingdom of Judah in every way. He rebuilt the port of Elat so they could trade down into Africa. He built towers in the desert for the extensive defense of his people. He dug many cisterns in the foothills and the plains, no doubt practicing and experimenting with a little irrigation. And very interesting, the scripture tells us that Uzziah was a farmer at heart. It says he loved the soil. Do you love the soil? This, this is the time of year, right? You, you go to the whoever is your broker to sell you your plants if you're not going to bother with a seed, and you get a tomato plant, and you go back, and you, that dirt. Doesn't it just feel good? Even if it gets underneath your fingernails, it's just one that God could put so much power in that dirt is, is almost unbelievable. But you know the secret of getting good tomatoes, don't you? You talk to the plants while you're putting them in the ground. Every time you water them, you go down and you give them just a little bit more encouragement. And then 
So you can imagine this great king, Uzziah, down on his hands and knees, getting his fingers dirty and talking to his plants. He was a good man. His fame spread all the way down to Egypt. But after he became powerful, his heart was lifted up in pride. His heart was lifted up in pride. You know, pride is something like glaucoma. If you know what glaucoma is, it's an infection in the eye that, that makes too much pressure so that gradually, without feeling anything, you begin to see less and less and less as the darkness closes out your possibility of seeing. That's what pride does. It makes you see less and less of the reality of the world out there, and you can see only yourself and how great you are. Now, in his pride, Uzziah decided that he would set a model for all his people. So he was going to go into the temple and to offer a sacrifice, as the priests were supposed to do. What a wonderful thing to set an example. But he was violating the law of God. Only the priests could go into the most holy place, and only he once a year. The high priest came and tried to stop him. Eighty other priests gathered around him and tried to stop him from doing this thing. You can imagine him raging at them, shouting at them. And just like that, leprosy struck him in the forehead. Not on his hand, where he might could have covered it up with his robes, but right in his forehead where everyone could see. Leprosy. And the scripture says, Uzziah died a leper in a separated house. He never came back to church again because he had violated the holiness of God. Now, you know about the holiness of God, but the world has not a clue about the holiness of God. Down in Africa, a man was building a new hotel and he wanted to prosper. So, in what is often the tradition even until today, he took his firstborn son to the witch doctor, had him ritually sacrificed, and then buried the remnants of his son under the foundation, into the foundation of his hotel. Did he have any sense of the holiness of God at all? The rumor is that whenever he tried to sleep in that hotel, the vision of his son, his firstborn son, came back to him and said, why did you do this, Father? Why did you do this to me? But the world, they don't have any sense of the holiness of God. But it is only, only in Africa that they do not understand the holiness of God? I don't know. I, I haven't been around here in 27 years. You know, I find things have changed quite a bit. Am I, am I allowed to read just a few verses from Romans chapter 1 that describe the circumstance of Paul's day but you might say he was writing about today. 
What does he say in Romans chapter 1? God gave them up. What a horrible phrase. God has worked with them and worked with them and worked with them and tried to bring them to a way of righteousness. And then God gave them up. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Was Paul speaking of the first century or the 21st century, the 22nd century? What is he speaking of? He is speaking of today. You know, you know the holiness of God. You've been raised in a church that preaches the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you've been taught from generation to generation. So go with the gospel. The world is hurting and doesn't even know what the problem is. The fullest manifestation of the holiness of God in the book of Isaiah, interestingly, is not in this chapter, as amazing as it is, as you see this man with the leprosy going down, taking away his nose and his chin until he's a disfigured person and finally dies without cure of his leprosy. But the fullest manifestation of the holiness of God finds its revelation in the death of another king described later that Isaiah saw in his vision. You can see why some people thought this king also was a leper. Scripture says his appearance was disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness, more distorted, contorted than a leper. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Do you know of whom the prophet speaks? He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It's Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that we deserve for our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. What a wonderful thing it is to know that where Uzziah died with his leprosy, you do not have to die in your sin because of Jesus who fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 53. You can be delivered from your sin. 
He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should die, should despise, desire him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. You who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil very great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed, son of man and son of God. Because you have seen God's holiness. You understand in a way that your neighbor, someone in your family, does not understand. The nations of the world do not understand because you understand. Go with the gospel. Secondly, because you have experienced the forgiveness of God. That is, some of you, very likely not all of you here today. The most striking thing about Isaiah's experience is his radical transformation. When you first see Isaiah, he's in the doldrums. You know, there's a place somewhere out there, you know, where the trade winds beat on the equator that causes a slow uplift, and back in the days of sailing ships, they would get into the doldrums, and the ship would just sit there for days, and there would be no wind, and the sailors would get more and more depressed in the doldrums. And Isaiah starts with this vision in the doldrums. He's like the old man with the cloud over his head saying, Woe is me, woe is me, woe is me. Do you find yourself like that sometimes? Woe is me. With hardly any reason, really. But you still have that feeling deep, woe is me. But the next time you see him, He's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. God asks, whom shall I send? And here comes this brash prophet. He says, here am I. Send me. Don't, don't worry about the cherubim that are the angelic beings that are ready in an instant, millions of them, to go instantly wherever you wish to do your will. Don't, don't depend on them. Here I am. Send me. Or happen. What, what's gone on here? You can understand this transition only if you have come into contact with the altar of Jesus, as did Isaiah. You must know the purging power of the sacrifice of his sin for you. Cleansing power so that one drop of Jesus Christ's atoning blood cleanse you of all your sin, past, present, and future. Have you experienced the liberating reality of what we as theologians call justification? But you, you as any Bible reader understand this word justification. It means you are declared just by God. It means that the last judgment you have already passed through. God imposes the future into the present, and you pass through the judgment now. 
And what is the conclusion? What is the judgment that God makes of you? No sin. No guilt. You see what happened with Isaiah? One of the angels took the tongs, took one of those hot coals where the blood of the sacrifice had dripped, and took one of those coals and just touched the lips of the prophet and said, your guilt is gone, and your sin is atoned for. Don't you understand the righteousness of God? God doesn't just flip his fingers and say, everybody's forgiven of their sins. No, he is loving, gracious, giving, but he also maintains righteousness. And we in our culture today, if you're aware of what's happening in the world today, the one thing you cry for is, Lord, care for those people that are suffering so terribly. Deliver them from the oppression that is coming upon them. You cry out for justice and righteousness. And God says, your sins are forgiven. And not only does he forgive you your sins, he empowers you then to serve him. That's the only way you can understand this radical transformation of the person of Isaiah. From a woe is me to send me. Because not only is his sins forgiven, he is empowered by the Holy Spirit to go. Even when he's weak and frail, he can go. I can go. I can be bold. There's a real sense in which you, that is, you, are a better ambassador for Christ than the angels or the seraphim would be. Yes, that's right. You can be a better ambassador to your neighbors, to the rest of the world, than the angels could be. Because you can identify with the sinner. When you're weak, then you're strong. Don't ever try to make people think that you're not a sinner, because you are a sinner. And your greatest hope of communication with them is not to go around saying, oh, I'm a terrible sinner, and tell them all about your sins. They'll figure that out for themselves. <laughs> but because you have experienced the forgiveness of God, then you need to go. Ask God to give you boldness. While Paul the Apostle is still in prison, can you imagine the Apostle Paul in prison, and he writes and he says, Pray for me that with all boldness I may preach the gospel. If anybody needs prayer for boldness or doesn't need prayer for boldness, it would be the Apostle Paul. But we need boldness. We need to realize that the spoken word of God in the gentlest, smallest way is the power of God to break through the hearts, the hardened hearts of men. Because you have experienced the forgiveness of God. Because you have been baptized into Jesus Christ, then go. The world is hurting despite their brashness and pretense. Their consciences are killing them. But you can go. During the Civil War in Liberia, 
little boys with alcohol in their breath or drugs in their veins with an AK-47 in one hand and a machete in the other would put up roadblocks anywhere. And they'd get you out of the car and they would say, okay, what would you like today? Would you like short sleeve or long sleeve? What did they mean? Well, do you want us to cut off your arm here, short, long sleeve, or you want us to cut it off here? Long sleeve, short sleeve. You make the choice. After the war was over, Franklin Graham was preaching in the stadium, in the football stadium in Monrovia. He spoke of Manasseh, that most terrible of all the kings of Israel, who for over 50 years led them into idolatry and child sacrifice, was carried away in, in by the Assyrians or the Babylonians into exile, and he repented. And God restored him, despite all the sins that he had done. So Franklin Graham didn't preach very long. He said, I'm not going to give a very long invitation. And he didn't. But when he offered for some to come and receive Christ and the forgiveness of their sins, they ran. They ran across the football field because for the first time they heard that despite all the wickedness that they had done during that war, they could be forgiven. Now, what is your sin? You can be forgiven. All of it can be forgiven. Even the sins you're yet to do can all be forgiven. You can go through the last judgment right now. And if you have done, never done that before, if you've never called out to Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to come down to the front, but I am asking you to, in your heart, look to Jesus. Cry out to him, and you will be forgiven. Not because of your greatness as a repentant sinner, but because of the greatness of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've seen the holiness of God. You've seen and experienced the forgiveness of God, and therefore you must go. The world does not have a clue. And finally, because you understand the sovereignty of God, you must go with the gospel. Yes, the sovereignty of God. Nothing can explain the salvation of any sinner except the sovereignty of God and his grace. Salvation of sinners hardened against God, dead in trespass and sins, cannot be saved any other way than by God sovereignly coming and calling them to himself. Now, you're Presbyterians, aren't you? You know about predestination, don't you? You should know it if no one else knows it, about God's sovereignty in saving lost sinners. Isaiah's commission includes a heavy note at the end, and it's not easy to explain, but I think there is something of an explanation. He said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. 
make the heart of this people dull and their eyes, ears heavy and, their, and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. What is this? It sounds like God doesn't want to save them. Harden their hearts. Well, you see what's happening here is just what Paul talked about. God hardened their hearts. God gave them up. After a thousand years of dealing with Israel, God gave them up. And that's an awful judgment of the Lord. But notice the last verse. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. By the sovereign grace of God, there shall be a great multitude that no one can number from every tribe and kindred and nation and people. And so what does that tell you to do? It says go. You know of Winston Churchill's never, never, never give up. That's the attitude you should have to your neighbor, to your relative, to the others that you know, to the other nations of the world, never give up. Because the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Jesus said, all those that the Father has given to me shall come to me. All those that the Father has given me and that's a great multitude, shall come. So never give up. Keep on praying. And if you can't go to the nations of the world yourself, then go by proxy. Send them, even into the 1040 window. Send them, even though they've been rejecting the gospel since A.D. 600. Send them. And God, in his mercy, will call them to himself. And when God lays his hand on you, you come. All that the Father has given me shall come to me. So, can you see how the sovereignty of God in salvation should encourage you to go? Yes. Go. Don't be intimidated by anybody, all the intellectuals, all the rich in this world. Don't be afraid of them. Just say the word, and that seed of the word can break open concrete. There's one other way in which the sovereignty of God manifests itself in this passage, besides the fact that God causes the trunk that has been chopped down to spring up alive, that God causes in Ezekiel's vision the dry bones dead to come alive, that God continues to call thousands and millions 
to Christ by himself despite all the cultural opposition that is there? There's one other place of the sovereignty here. And it is that this vision appeared to Isaiah. And only to Isaiah. And to none other than Isaiah. And in God's sovereignty, you are here today. And you're in this pew today. And you're sitting over there today. And you have heard this message today. And that is a manifestation of the sovereignty of God and salvation. And for that reason, certainly among all others, you should go with the gospel. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you have come. Now let us go. We are such weak, frail instruments. We have so little. We have nothing in ourselves to offer. But we can <clears throat> offer you in all your richness. So we ask you to bless us, to bless this church, to give to us new life that the dead bones may live, and we may be the instruments of the salvation of sinners throughout the earth. For we pray in Christ's name, amen. <laughs>